Founders of the Future with Joe Mardell. Welcome to Founders of the Future, the podcast making emerging technologies accessible to anyone. My name is Joe Mardell and in this podcast I interview founders of technology startups who are pioneering our future using emerging technologies to create new industries, business models and opportunities. PTVid, a privacy-focused video search engine that respects your privacy by not taking any of your personal data and allowing you to search the entire internet for all kinds of videos that you might not be able to find on your traditional video search engines. Craig, thanks for joining me today on the podcast. It's really great to have you. Hey Joe, thanks for having me on. No problem, no problem. So should we start off by just telling us a little bit about your company, PTVid, how did you start the company, what was your meaning behind it, and, and just tell us a little bit of the background story. Sure, so the uh, the parent company is Erie Data Systems that, that owns PTVid, and PTVid was basically born out of uh, an idea that I came up with maybe about a year and a half ago or so and some change. Um, I was doing a lot of research for closed captioning and just all the video providers that were available out on the internet. And I realized kind of no matter where I went searching for videos, mostly what I came up with, if not entirely, was all YouTube videos. And uh, YouTube's great and everything, but it made me wonder who else is still out there. And maybe there's newer places that are out there to compete with YouTube or, you know, just for variety's sake. And the more that I looked, the more things that I found. And I realized that, you know, a lot of people didn't know about the things that I was finding. And coming up with a a search engine to highlight mainly non-YouTube content was, was the focus at that point. And that's really where the, the, the idea started uh, kind of thing. And talking to a lot of people, they all said, I don't really use video search. I just go straight to YouTube, which again is fine, but you could be missing out on things that might be hosted on other sites that you don't know about that those videos aren't on YouTube and that kind of thing. So that's really what it's for is an additional resource for people to be able to find things that they might not know exist kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. That's really great. You know, I, I've never really thought about it particularly Um, I'm the same I kind of do most of my video watching on YouTube but I think that what you're trying to do here is really quite really kind of interesting because um, I'm sure there are all kinds of like videos all sorts of different content um, out there that people just haven't been able to find because of um, you know it's not on YouTube or whatever and it helps different countries to um, find videos that are kind of local to that area. Is that another way that you'd like people to use the platform is by helping them to find kind of local content? Yeah, I mean, certainly there is regional content as well. If you're, you know, searching for this, the search engine itself is multilingual. And I've had people test probably about between six and 10 different languages. Uh, So for example, you could type in a query in Farsi or in French or in German or that kind of thing. And then you would get content that's, that's more you know, regionally based because it's naturally in that language kind of thing. So you can definitely use it for that. And you know, to the point that you just said too as well, 
there may be content that's no longer on YouTube for whatever reason. Um, it doesn't mean that it's bad or harmful or anything like that. Um, but certainly PDVid providing people the option to search uh, at this point, 70 different platforms other than YouTube just gives you the ability to find information that maybe isn't on there for whatever reason. We don't claim to really know what that is, but giving people the option and the diversity is really what our goal is. So, Yeah, that's awesome. Um, yeah, I really like the fact that you're kind of using a bunch of different languages and making it a lot more accessible for a wider range of people, which is really useful. Um, and also, I'd like to just dive a little bit deeper into how you've kind of set up the platform, um, what's mm -hmm. behind it. Um, so how are you kind of enabling the fact that you can include lots of different languages? What sort of systems have you got in place that help the platform to actually be able to understand those different languages? So uh, I'll get slightly technical. Um, so basically, we have the uh, the pieces of code that go out there and get this information, the, the video information, if you will, like the title and the description and all that kind of thing. And then we store that in the database. Um, everything, we and we use primarily Ubuntu to do that, a Linux uh, you know, platform. Uh, so everything is set in UTF-8 and UTF-8 is a character set that pretty much includes, from my knowledge, um, any foreign languages because of the extended character set. I mean, normally with English, you're talking about standard A through Z, zero through nine, that kind of thing. But when you get into foreign languages and emoticons and all these different kinds of things, you need a different character set to include a wider range of possible characters. So everything has been set up for UTF-8. Uh, when our crawlers get information and they store it in our MySQL database, which is what we use primarily to store all the data, all that is uh, collated and stored in UTF-8 so that that can be a really, really wide range of character sets. Someone, uh, when I explained this to somebody in the beginning, they, I, I said to them, it does every language and they were joking around. They said, well, does it do hieroglyphics? And I said, I, I don't know, maybe. <laughs> so I literally went on the internet and found some hieroglyphics and copy pasted them into PDVid. And sure enough, it found videos that had hieroglyphics mentioned in them. <laughs> so that was proof enough for me. And then uh, after that, um, I started, I looked to see if there were any emoticons out there and I like pizza. So I found a pizza emoji or emoticon and put that into PDVid. And sure enough, I found a whole bunch of videos that had pizza uh, emoticons on them. So that was proof enough for me after my friends did the language searching and hieroglyphics worked and pizza worked. And so that was all good. But the last piece, um, which is, I guess, the emo most important piece is after we've saved the information from the videos and kind of cleaned it up and qualified them, uh, they go into a full text search engine. And what that search engine does is essentially, um, if you picture uh, a really large book, if you want to find something in that book, you go to the appendix in the back of the book, which allows you to find what page it's on really quickly. If without an appendix, it would take uh, a human being a very long time to find out where a word was in a, in a large book, say with a thousand pages. But with an appendix, it makes it really easy. So that's pretty much what a full text search engine is, um, is it allows really, really fast searches um, on very large data sets as opposed to a traditional database. So uh, the last piece, which we use is Apache Solar, um, uses UTF-8 as well. So it's pretty much UTF-8 all the way through the entire workflow. So that from gathering the data to storing the data to searching the data, it's completely uh, you know, transparent all the way through. Yeah, it's all very impressive. And it seems like you're working with some really large numbers here. The scale of what you've managed to achieve with the number of different websites that you're dragging these videos from is, uh, is really quite impressive. 
what sort of scale are you kind of operating at? Like how many websites are you taking videos from like, throughout the internet, do you reckon? So as it is right now, we're uh, gathering information from 70 sources. And when I say 70 sources, that's, excuse me, those are all major platforms like Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, TikTok. Uh, there's a, a, a Latin TikTok competitor, I think, called Quai. There's just a whole bunch of these things um, in all different countries. YouTube competitors, uh, new providers like BitChute um, that are giving people a place to have more uh, freedom to post different kinds of content that it's not so as strict as YouTube kind of thing. Um, so we have uh, 70 platforms other than YouTube. So I guess our count now is either 71 or 72. And then we have 540 million videos which is just over half a billion videos from all those different places. Um, so that provides for a really, really diverse uh, search experience for the end user. Our initial goal was about 10 million videos, um, but by the end of the, the year, we had found so many different systems that we weren't aware of um, that th that number grew like, you know, so much larger than we anticipated, which is a good thing because the more data, the more options the user has, so. Yeah, that's pretty incredible. Almost, you know, half a billion, that's, it's a pretty inconceivable number. So um, I'm very impressed that you've managed to achieve that. But um, also, how do you kind of, what's your method for scraping the videos um, from the internet? Because it's such a large scale. Are you using some kind of like AI or something to, to do that? Not really AI. I can't get into like too much detail, but it is um, yeah. driven lar largely by uh, you know, keywords and trends and things that are currently going on, because you're right, the internet is so incredibly huge, where would you even uh, begin to start or pretend to like get all of it? Um, by no means do we claim to have everything on every single system um, kind of thing, but we try to gear gathering the content towards things that we believe are relative topic wise and subject wise to what people are currently wanting, and then kind of branch out from there because we figure if we start out at topics that are very relevant according today or even this week or this month and then kind of work backwards, ultimately I think that that's what users are gonna end up wanting. Sure, there's legacy things that you know people are gonna be interested in that are you know, 10, 20 years old, but more importantly, having the most relevant things currently about politics and music and all that kind of stuff are probably the most important immediately. Mm. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I think the internet is definitely driven by trends and what's hot at the moment, what's, what are people talking about right now? So I think you've definitely you've got the right strategy there. And uh, mm -hmm. another thing that I think is really awesome about the platform is your, um, your strategy in terms of privacy. You take a very different approach to YouTube and, and some of the other uh, more well-known platforms. So can you just talk a little bit more about that? Yeah, so when the uh, proof of concept was created, which is kind of the, the alpha, so to speak, in the first you know month or, or so, um, one of the things that I was uh, really, really interested in is doing research on <clears throat> uh, revenue models, obviously, to keep the site afloat and making money and that kind of thing, but how to do that without necessarily using uh, user data to do that, uh, selling that data to other places, using advertising platforms that share uh, user collected data, cookies, all that kind of stuff. So we decided to build into the platform um, for it to be uh, privacy centric or privacy focused. And what that means is when you do a search on the platform, we don't save the user's IP address or identifiable information uh, about the user 
um, so that we can either, you know, develop algorithms or resell it or, you know, that kind of thing. We decided not even to address that and just to stay out of that and embrace more, uh, some traditional methods uh, of uh, raising revenue through um, affiliate ads, but some newer ones too, like Patreon and things like that and donations and selling merchandise. Um, we have shirts and stickers and all that kind of stuff. So I'm not going to necessarily, you know, uh, talk negatively about other, you know, platforms that do use uh, user data as part of their monetization or revenue stream, but we decided not to do that because it seems like it's the right time to do it. I'm not even going to pretend about how to even go about doing that kind of thing. And I think it's the user's right. And we're certainly on that side of things about things uh, being kind of refactored in a, in a more uh, privacy centric way in a lot of different ways. There's ad networks that are coming out that are more privacy focused. There's the Brave browser that just came out that's more privacy focused. DuckDuckGo does the same thing and there's web search engine, that kind of thing. Um, so we decided to not necessarily jump on the bandwagon, but like join that mission too as well with those other, uh, those other vendors, yeah. Yeah, I'm happy to see that this is starting to become a trend or, or maybe just a movement online um, I agree, yeah. Privacy rather than, you know, just handing over all of our data and personal information to large companies. Um, there has been a lot of scandals and stuff in recent years to do with privacy. Do you think that's had an impact on your, your um, strategy and the way that you view privacy? Yeah, I do. Yeah, I do. I mean, I think a lot of us as time went by, like over the years, we kind of just took it for granted that companies were kind of doing the right thing. And we just had a lot of uh, trust and faith in them. And I think with that, and again, it's just my opinion, but with that kind of liberty and that freedom, companies decided to explore revenue models to exploit that data and to you know, share that data and that kind of thing. Since there were no regulations and there were no rules before GDPR and before a lot of those types of things. Um, so yeah, so seeing that kind of stuff happen, it made sense. I, I like it, I'm totally in favor of it. Um, and certainly that did affect our decision to make the video search engine privacy focused, not just for that reason, but we wanted to uh, innovate and do things uh, maybe that were a bit newer instead of just sticking with being a traditional plain old, you know, search engine, so to speak. So that's where that came from as yeah, well, trying to do something new. Yeah. Yeah. I can see that, you know, there's a lot of um, reason to try and stand out and it's pretty much essential if you're starting a company that you need to do something unique and a little bit different from your competitors and, and incorporating this privacy strategy into your business is a really good way to do that. Uh, mm -hmm. Also, uh, this reminds me of a Netflix um, documentary um, called the, I think it's called The Giant Hack or The Big Hack or something. Right, yeah. Uh, have you seen that? It's really good. I have, yeah, the Facebook Cambridge Analytica That's kind of thing, yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah, I'd recommend that to anyone listening. Um, I would highly recommend you give that a watch because it's really eye-opening. It kind of, it does make you think about the way that we use the internet and, and our habits online. Um, right. And just being a bit more careful because you can't just put your trust in companies blindly without actually thinking about, you know, what, what could be going on. Yeah, I absolutely agree. And I think we had a really long period of time um, for those people that are a bit, you know, on the older side kind of thing, or maybe even within the last 10 years. So we, like I said, we just kind of just business as usual, took it for granted, used our phones, used our PCs, used our software and just, you know, mm. assumed that, you know, companies had our best interest in mind and that was it kind of thing. So, yeah. but yeah. 
Yeah, that's that's awesome. Um, but moving on from the the privacy thing, but I'd also just like to discuss um, entrepreneurship in general, um, because I can see that you're obviously quite entrepreneurial minded, and you you had an idea and you wanted to see if it would work out and try and build something on your own, which I really respect. Um, but also, have you kind of tried this out before? Have you had any entrepreneurial ventures before or done any, any projects like this previously? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so, well, I'm going to, I guess, go way, way back. Um, I started programming when I was 10 and uh, I'm 50 now. So I've been programming for 40 years, basically. And uh, when I was really young, um, I was able to you know, get a hold of a computer that was a friend of mine. He got one for Christmas and was super into it. And there were some magazines in there um, that his parents bought him for learning how to program and stuff. And the, the code that was in these magazines was so inspirational to me. The people that wrote them, the authors, were like movie stars to me. And so I, you know, at that point in time, I was sure I was super into like learning how to code. But more importantly, I wanted to be like these guys and I wanted to be in those magazines and that kind of thing. And so by the time I was 16, I was able to actually get published um, in those magazines. Not completely entrepreneurial, but that's definitely where I think a lot of that stuff started for me about like wanting to do something and figuring out how to do it and then executing it and then enjoying the rewards of that. Um, so those, those being published in those magazines when I was between 16 and 18, a couple of different times um, was certainly really rewarding for me. And then as time went on, um, uh, when I was uh, in college in the early 90s, um, I realized that, uh, and again, this is before the web and you know before the, the internet kind of exploded, um, I realized that uh, there was a need for uh, teachers to be able to create tests essentially um, on a computer. And so I wrote this thing called Test Pro that was basically uh, the teacher would go in and put the questions and the answers and it would actually print out and create like tests you know, they were completely printable without them having to use Word or anything like that. And I actually went in uh, some Scholastic sponsored magazines and took some ads out and mailed out the discs and all that kind of stuff. So I would consider that like a, the next kind of step about being entrepreneurial, creating some code and putting some ads in some magazines and selling software to teachers and that kind of thing. Um, and then I ended up doing lots of different coding uh, projects uh, throughout the year. And then Fast forward to about 1998, I moved to uh, Silicon Valley for the first dot-com boom. It was 97, 98, maybe 97, I guess it was, uh, from Georgia to California, to the, the Bay Area. And at that point in time, um, I, I was on a job, essentially, um, which was good, uh, good job and everything, but I wanted to kind of do my own thing again. It was still that itch, kind of, so to speak, to do my own thing. So when I would get done with work, I would go home and work on my own stuff. And I wanted to start my own software company at that point. So this was kind of evolving. And I think a lot of this actually um, was inspired by uh, the movie Tron when I was really young. I saw the movie Tron uh, 82, I guess it was. And uh, he had created like his own software and that kind of thing. So that, that was like these bits of things that were inspiring to me along the way to be like, I want to be like that guy. I want to do that kind of thing. Not much different than maybe somebody wanting to be in a band or be an artist or that kind of thing. And so 98 or so, I started my own software company um, called East Bay Technologies. And this was when Google was just starting essentially, 97, 98 or so. And uh, I created some software for um, accessing Usenet and accessing some different other things resource-wise, Windows desktop software. And then I created at that point in time, um, and this was 1999, uh, created a, a program called CTube, C-T-U-B-E, which 
obviously sounds really familiar, but this was like way before YouTube, probably at least five years plus before YouTube. Um, and the software was uh, for people to be able to watch uh, TV on their computer, internet television, which is way before Netflix, way before any of this stuff. Uh, and essentially what it was is it was a piece of software that you could load on your Windows machine and Mac at that point. It would give you a list of channels. You could play the channel and sit there and watch television on your computer. But this was way before streaming and all that kind of stuff. Again, this is 1999 or 2000. Um, there's still copies of the website on uh, the Internet Archive, believe it or not. I've looked up to see them and they're still there. Um, whether YouTube got their name uh, from my product CTube is who knows kind of thing. But it does seem kind of funny that it was five years before that kind of thing. Um, so created that company, did that, uh, sold a lot of software uh, on uh, Netscape's homepage and various other places. It was a really great time. Um, and then ended up selling that company um, and then moving towards search engines. And from early 2000 until now, um, I've largely been involved in uh, creating search engines and working on search engines on the back end. Um, so that's, that's a long time, almost 20 years. Um, and that, again, a lot of the, the work that I've done uh, independently would be maybe a shopping site similar to Amazon uh, has a problem with their relevancy, which means customers are typing things in and they're just not getting back what they need, which means they're not making sales. So I would be the search engine architect. They would call up and say, okay, we have the data. The users are typing this in. They're not getting the right thing. How do we fix this? And so largely I've done a lot of um, you know, backend search work uh, for the last 15, 20 years. Um, but along those, uh, along those years, I've certainly always had the itch to be like, well, I want to make this. This sounds cool. I want to make this. seems like people would you know, benefit from that. So yeah, for the last probably 20 years, it's been a lot of different types of experimentation and search engines and that kind of thing. And this one being the most uh, recent iteration of that. That's the long answer. <laughs> awesome. Thank you. Yeah, that's really awesome about, um, you know, how you've always looked up to these figures that you've really admired and I can relate to that. I think most young people, um, you know, they, they always have someone to look up to that they aspire to, you know, achieve similar big things. That's how you, you get your dreams at, when you're young. And, and, um, and it's cool that you've kind of pursued that. Um, I, I find what you were saying about your, your website, CTube, really intriguing. I would love to find out a bit more about whether you know, whether that did have an impact on YouTube's um, decision, but who knows, you know, but that's right. really interesting. Um, and yeah, I can see that the entrepreneurial spirit kind of has runs deep in, in you and you've always had this drive to find solutions to problems, which is really, really cool. Um, and also you mentioned the fact that you actually exited from the company um, and you sold that company. How was that experience for you, um, you know, with leaving a company and, and um, selling it on. Uh, how did you find that whole experience? Um, the, the timing was really good because I was like, I had gotten it to a point that I wanted to develop it to. I mean, there's, there's a major part of the equation that I completely agree with you on with the, excuse me, entrepreneurial part about creating something, birthing it and moving it along and that kind of thing um, where I, I wouldn't say fall short, but I have a lot less interest would be the, you know, the monetary part of it. Some people, they want to be entrepreneurs because they're highly focused on the, the you know, the monetary gains. I am highly focused on things for the creative endeavor and actually seeing something, you know, come from an idea in, in my brain and developing it and making it 
it's the creative part, the creative process that I, I think I'm, I benefit most from, that I enjoy the most. It's not to say that, um, you know, everything that I've made, I had no consideration for money whatsoever. But if I had to put some kind of ratio, it would probably be 75% on the create creativity aspect and probably 25% on the monetary gains, which is neither here nor there, but that's highly like where I am kind of thing. Yeah. I, I guess in a good way, it lets me focus so much of my energy on the product and the creation of it and perfecting it rather than being overly concerned with like how much money is this going to make me and how can I change the product so that it will make the most amount of money, um, which there's no, I have nothing against that, but it's just naturally how I am kind of thing. Um, so exiting the company um, at that point in time, um, things had done really, really well. And I could see that they were starting to decline, not severely, but starting to decline. And my interest was going towards search engine architecture. And I was working with another search engine at that point in time, um, and they offered to buy it from me, essentially. And so the money that I ended up getting, and I knew it was basically just to bury the company. So that was a tough thing for me. In a way, it was when things were starting to take a downturn. So I was like, I might as well go ahead and get what I can from this because I know it's not going to get any better because the trends at that point in time were always pointing toward, you know, uh, newer offerings, uh, you know, device, uh, portable devices, all that kind of thing. Um, and so I kind of saw the writing on the wall that like the best days were kind of over in a way. So exiting the company was like, okay, this was a good run, made some, you know, decent money from it, had a really great experience, um, got some recognition on the internet, that kind of thing. Um, so it was good. Um, I, obviously anyone would say, well, you know, I could have gotten more money for it, but it was fine. I'm, I'm good with how that turned out. Um, and it allowed me to have like kind of some money in a gateway to move towards other things that I was more passionate about at that time so yeah i think that does show a lot of humility the fact that you're willing to um just accept when the time is right to move on and follow some new kind of um, endeavors that you might find a bit more fulfilling um and, and yeah it's definitely all about timing finding the right time to jump into a new opportunity um is really important what sort of advice would you give to a young entrepreneur when it comes to timing and finding the right sort of time to go with a specific idea. Wow, <laughs> that's, that's difficult. That's something I'm completely struggling with myself. I mean, all the time. Um, the thing for me in particular that I, and maybe this will help answer the question that I've been struggling with in, you know, I'm not a big fan of, of comments that are related to like ageism and age appropriate things. I'm not a big fan of that because I think no matter what age you are, if there's something that you want to do, you should just go ahead and pursue it, you know, okay. if your heart's in it kind of thing. But I think that there are certain things with human psychology and just aging that just come naturally kind of thing. And so with me in particular, recently something that realization that I had with PDVid kind of thing was that, yes, I'm making this thing that is offering like these options to YouTube for video search and that kind of thing. And this is all well and good. Um, and the search engine's active and I'm getting more users than I would have expected and that kind of thing. But still there's a part of me that wondered a few weeks ago, maybe the product that I made is actually not for the users that are out there today, but it's actually for the users that existed 10 years ago because maybe because of my age and not keeping up with things, um, I'm still, I don't want to say stuck like 10 years ago, but it did take me quite a while to get a smartphone and it did take me quite a while to start using apps and all that kind of stuff. Um, and so I started to, to try to get into a different type of mindset. And so I guess my advice would be, 
you know, number one, definitely pursue those things passionately if, if that's really what you're interested in kind of thing and don't make excuses for yourself. And it may not turn out well. You may have, you know, lots of different failures, um, but it's a learning process. And there's always good things that come out of a crash and burns kind of thing, so to speak. And it certainly, yeah, and getting advice from other people is always good. And then in the same aspect that recently I've been trying to take myself out of my own headspace and, and not be so like, well, this is the way that the world has to be. This is just how it is. This is what, and I'm, I'm definitely not that level of being belligerent, but taking yourself out of your own headspace and, and really trying to think like other groups and other individuals and other people uh, of different age ranges and you know, all those kinds of things, I think is helpful because you might end up coming up with different ideas or being able to change your idea or uh, pivot or morph it into something else that's more um, appealing offer wise. Uh, to what people actually want. There is a, a huge difference between having an idea and just wanting to make it and not caring what people think, and then kind of somewhere in the middle of the road, <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I really agree with all, all of the things that you just said. I think that's some great advice, um, and people would do well to incorporate that into their lives. So thank you for that piece of, mm -hmm. um, piece of advice there. And my, my final question to you would probably be, um, just to highlight any kind of misconceptions that you think people might have about entrepreneurship and about um, technology and, and what it takes to kind of, you know, make this part of your life. Do you think people have some misconceptions around this area? Um, I, I do think that they do, but I think it probably has to do with more so the reasoning or the, the, the why they're actually doing it kind of thing. Um, you know, you, you see this all the time that, that people talk about like, well, you know, the Edison 10,000 times to get it right kind of thing. It, it does take a, a tremendous amount of effort and making a lot of mistakes and that kind of thing. Um, I don't want to say to get any type of traction at all, but like, you know, certainly the rewards come along the way, right? But what I would say is don't underestimate how much work it's going to take to get something you know, to get traction. And I think the big mistake is um, people think, oh yeah, yeah, I'm just gonna do this and I'm gonna make this and I'm gonna put it on the internet and it's gonna get huge. And I mean, no, it doesn't work that way. Most of the time it really doesn't. And the media likes to sensationalize stories that, you know, oh, this guy just woke up and had this idea and now he's a billionaire. It, no, it doesn't work that way. I mean, I watched a couple of documentaries recently. One was called The PayPal Mafia which is really weird, but it talks about like how PayPal started and how Elon Musk started with X.com. And then I watched another documentary called uh, The Reason That MySpace Failed. These are all incredibly awesome like documentaries that are available like, you know, on the internet, lots of places, YouTube. Um, but they all show the same thing that I'm talking about that like entrepreneurship, I'm talking about in one aspect, but takes an insane amount of work. But hopefully, if you enjoy the process and you enjoy what you're doing and you enjoy the rewards that come along the way, um, it's not as much work as mo most people would think. You know, I mean, when I talk about this kind of subject, most of the time I correlate it over to a musician, right? So let's just say you decide that you want to start playing drums and you're really passionate about that and that kind of thing. You along the way, as you're learning, you're like, wow, I learned this song, I learned this rudiment, I learned this blah, 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 and you're just having a great time doing it. But meanwhile, you're putting in hundreds and thousands of hours, right? Mm -hmm. And then you reach this point where all of a sudden now, after, you know, 10 years of doing this and spending 
so many hours at it, you're proficient at it and you're enjoying it and you're a studio drummer and you can actually make money like recording on other people's albums or, you know, that kind of thing. Now, how much work did you put in? A lot, right? But you enjoyed it along the way. And so would you say that you put a lot of work and you'd be, you'd be like, yeah, I did, but it was fun. And yeah, there were a lot of times I screwed up or had to do this or I had to do this a million times, but it was the process that I enjoyed the most. And being, you know, at the, the end result, so to speak. But that's the, kind of the advice that I would give as far as the entrepreneurship and mis misconceptions is don't think it's going to be easy, but hopefully enjoy the process. And then it doesn't end up being a lot of work while it's happening. <laughs> if that makes yeah, I sense. Think, I think yeah. You're, you're spot on there. The, the simple yeah. it really is just enjoying it and enjoying what you do. Right. Passion in everything that you do. And you're, you're dead right about how, and uh, a musician wouldn't see it as work because that is their passion. It's their like favorite hobby and it's what they've just decided to spend all their time doing. So yeah, I think it's like the mantra, the mantra of most entrepreneurs is that they'd much rather spend 80 hours a week doing something that they love than 40 hours a week doing something that they hate. Oh, and I yes. completely agree with that. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think it, you know, if you're that sort of person, then entrepreneurship is definitely for you. Right. So yeah, I think we'll cut it off here. We'll call it a day, but um, I've really enjoyed this chat. So thank you yeah. so much for joining me on the podcast and I hope you've enjoyed it too. Awesome. Yeah, I definitely have. Thanks, Joe. Thanks a lot. I'll speak to you again soon. Okay. Thank you. Thank you.